welcome to our series of podcasts to support our Senior Mental Health League community, brought to you by Connects Education Academy. In our Mental Health and Wellbeing podcast, experts talk candidly about their findings, experiences and share their stories. This podcast support is designed to help you bring about whole school positive change to prioritise mental health and wellbeing enabling you to take your colleagues and school community along the journey as well. Welcome back to our series of podcasts in the series focusing on trauma-informed practice. Some of the topics we are discussing in this podcast may be distressing or cause triggers. Please take time out and seek support if you are affected by any of the content today. Our guests today are Andy Bridge, a Deputy Head Teacher, and Debbie Davis, Head Teacher and Senko. Last week, we looked at adverse childhood experiences and the link to trauma. We mainly focused on the emotional impact of ACEs, but today we will be looking at how the brain is affected by exposure to trauma and adverse childhood experiences, and consider what teachers and other educators need to know. Andy, can you get started with us by unpicking this a little? Do all of our brains not develop in the same way then? Hi, Georgie. Um, no, it's a short answer they don't. So from the minute that we're born, actually, even before we're born, um, if thinking about maternity, our development is influenced by our environment. So the brain adapts to its surroundings. So if a brain is exposed to threatening situations and fear, then it becomes used to operating in that environment. And then it doesn't necessarily work as well when it then transitions into a normal safe environment, perhaps like a school classroom. So research shows that if children are exposed to abuse or neglect, there's three main systems within the brain that then become affected by that. So there's the reward system, the memory system, and the threat system. So in terms of the threat system, there's a risk of the child developing hypervigilance, where they're always alert to any possible signs of danger. And that then stops them being able to enjoy situations or view things in a positive light or focus on their learning because they're always concentrating on what risks and dangers they might be exposed to. With the reward system, if a child's basic needs aren't met, then that system can become damaged and it stops the child recognising positive situations it stops them developing positive social relationships. They maybe misinterpret positive social cues and, and they lack that awareness that then has a significant impact on possible friendships. And then finally, in terms of memory, a brain that's exposed to trauma will often really, really strengthen and heighten those negative memories and diminish the strength of positive memories. So the, the outlook becomes overwhelmingly affected by the negative memories that take up all of the space and, and they're left with very, very few positive memories to draw upon. Wow, that I I had no idea that the brain could be impacted um, so hugely, and particularly even in before childbirth. So that's really significant then. So Debbie, if a child is exposed to these situations, how might things, as Andy's described, affect them at school? Hi, Georgie. Well, if any of these things happen happens in childhood, it can cause what we call latent vulnerability, where situations that ordinary children face, such as starting school or making new friends, can seem really overwhelming. Ultimately, 
latent vulnerability means that there's a higher uh, chance of mental health issues in the future, such as anxiety and depression. In terms of life at school, it can present a whole range of challenges as there may be so hypervigilant, like Andy says, to signs of danger. It can be difficult to focus on learning, which can cause a lack of academic progress. And they may also miss school, uh, the social cues that help build friendships. This can lead to unpredictable responses, such as a violent outburst. Over time, this can lead to isolation as friendships become difficult to build um, and those that do happen uh, can become difficult to sustain. If it continues, we, uh, we get what is called social thinning, where a child's social network becomes smaller and smaller. And then that's the last thing that they want really, having faced all the traumas that they've had. Um, because you need networks around you to help you to to come through and, and mend. Overall, it could lead to the presentation of a number of challenging behaviours in school, uh, which require careful management, really. Yeah, um, never really considered it that way, Debbie. And there are those kids that do have small networks and, and just struggle to make friendships. So there's clearly... Uh, a lot of other things going on in the background there. You mentioned about careful management of these behaviours. What might that look like, Andy? Yeah, I think it, it's really important when we talk about how we manage these behaviours in school. Um, that we're clear this isn't about like making excuses or accepting really disruptive behaviour and not kind of pursuing that. Because we've talked in previous podcasts um, when we were looking at the teacher standards about the importance of high expectations so it's really important to clear that being trauma informed isn't about not having high expectations of children and not setting any boundaries for them because we're making excuses based on what's happened in the past so supporting children who are exposed to trauma absolutely requires boundaries it requires it requires consequences but it also just requires that just pausing just reflecting and thinking about that behavior is it the case that the child is just being really naughty or are they maybe just responding to a stressful situation in the only way, in the only way that they know how um, and, and judging that isn't easy to do but I think it's really worth considering how we can do that because the impact could be huge if we do get that right. Debbie do you want to pick up on this one what kind of impact could this have? Well if we remember that a child's brain is has has made adaptations as a result of trauma we need to also remember that we have the power to help it make further adaptations the brain is all always growing and we can we can help the brain to deal with traumas and children actually can mend if we consistently show children boundaries but act with care let them know that we are trustworthy and, and won't let them down and show them that they can make mistakes and then try again we can help to reform those parts of the brain that uh, are negatively affected um, the, re uh, the reward memory and, and threat systems resilience and a positive self-regard um, can be developed by providing these things consistently to a child but it isn't uh, an easy task the many occasions you you it's not an easy way forward with traumatized children to just be positive and 
be complimentary and be supportive and try to help their the uh, self-esteem it has to be ongoing ongoing relentless support because they've lost the power and they've lost the control that helps them to see the world in a in a positive light as, as Andy mentioned and sometimes that can be quite masked as well Debbie can't it so you're not necessarily always aware that that's going on so Andy how can teachers and school support staff go about achieving this well you know it goes without saying we can't change what's happened in a child's past if, if those events have happened before they get to us then there's nothing we can do about that as such we can only choose and make a difference to how we move forward so i think one key area is information sharing um obviously there's a lot to do with safeguarding that is highly confidential about a child and i'm not advocating sharing specific details necessarily about a child's traumatic past but just sharing with staff that a child has has been exposed to some trauma can be really powerful in itself they don't need all the details but just knowing that can help them manage their approach to certain situations and i think it's worth remembering that if a child's been exposed to some kind of confrontation in their formative years whether that's physical or verbal then a really loud confrontational approach to behavior management you know shouting and screaming and reinforcing expectations is likely to just escalate those extreme behaviors even further so you know we've said it before but just pausing before responding taking measure of the situation and then giving a really measured balanced response can be so powerful and actually that pause that can give the child a second to pause and reflect as well so i think that's um a very simple and, and powerful thing for us to try and do Thank you so much for sharing and it sounds really obvious but actually it is about being considered before we respond. So let's finish with your key thoughts. What's one takeaway that you each have in terms of brain development and adverse situations? Let's start with Andy. Um, for me I guess that, that idea that Debbie talked about latent vulnerability, you know knowing that these early influences um, that a child goes through has an absolutely huge impact on the future life chance of that child, both mental health, also physical health. Knowing that it kind of reinforces that we absolutely owe it to them to do everything that we can do to help create them a positive future. So why would we not try and take on board some of these strategies when there is no cost to these strategies? It, it, you know, it's just about being informed and some tweaks to our practice that could really support some very, very vulnerable children. Yeah, absolutely. And and help everybody all, all around. Debbie, what about you? I mean, absolutely. For me, it's the idea that the brain isn't fixed. Yes, it's adapted to cope with trauma, but that is changeable. If we consistently surround these children with trust and care and boundaries and professional love, we can absolutely help to change their ongoing brain development in a really positive way. I've seen it happen. It's a it, it is wonderful to see children heal and they really can with the right support and we do owe it to them and we do need to pause and think about their experiences and just going back to what Andy said it's really resonated with me about you know that confrontational loud approach and behavior management maybe raising your voice you know what will you really achieve if you're really not aware that the night before this child's been exposed to the most extreme domestic violence you can imagine 
and it's just not been reported and no one knows and they've come to school that day and yeah. you're going to shout at them you yeah. know so pause and think um we owe it to the children yeah we do we absolutely do and and just being aware that we may be having a bad day but they could be having a bad day as well and what those situations may be at home um yeah we we just need to be open and supportive so thank you both again another really really powerful conversation that we've had here and for me understanding that the brain isn't fixed is it's um really quite uh an encouraging situation that we can actually work with and actually change things for the better next week we'll be discussing the concepts of fight flight freeze friend or flop so the five f's and what that might mean for our approach in the classroom connects academy is proud to be a dfe approved provider of the senior mental health lead training and you can find out more about this by visiting connects-academy.com Thank you all for listening.